You are entering the Freedom Hut. Big Brother says no beach for you. How Florida handled COVID right. Tattoo artist arrested in North Carolina. The mayor of Chicago will lock you up for having fun on the street. The tyrant governor of Michigan strikes again. Violent arrests at NYC for lack of social distancing. More on China's insidious cover-up and what the heck are murder hornets? This is the Buck Sexton Show, where the mission mission is to decode what really matters with actionable intelligence. Make no mistake. America, you're a great American. The Buck Sexton Show begins. Former CIA analyst. Former member of the NYPD. He's a great guy. It is Buck Sexton. Now. Welcome to the Buck Sexton Show, everybody. That was a helicopter doing its best Orwell 1984 impersonation, telling people on a beautiful, sunny day in California, which is the really, why do you live in California near the beach? So you can go to the beach and because you've got great weather. That's why you put up with the horrible politics, the very high taxes, the terrible traffic. You know, why do you live in New York? Why do I live in New York? Why have I chosen to? Well, I was born here, but and my family's here. But aside from that, I could have moved many times. But you are here and you deal with the subway and the overpriced real estate and the crowdedness of everything because we have the highest concentration of restaurants of pretty much anywhere in the world, at least of a certain quality. And you have all kinds of stuff going on. And if you like stimulation and things to do, places to go, this is a phenomenal location. Right. New York City is amazing. If you want great weather and beaches, you go to California and those things are shut down now. You can't do that. You can't do those in New York or in Los Angeles. And you also can't do it in a whole lot of other states, although they're starting to see the light. They're starting to understand that this is just absurd. My friends, it's time to open up the country. It's long past time to open up the country. There is no good reason to continue with this lockdown. Just work through the logic on this yourself. Don't let people shout you down. Don't let people tell you that the experts have some consensus, that they already know, that there's something out there, there's some study you haven't read yet that undercuts your whole point. It's not true. You remember what you were told. I remember what we were told, that this was all to flatten the curve so that healthcare systems would not be overwhelmed in this country. Nowhere in this country was the healthcare system overwhelmed. It did not happen anywhere, including in New York, which has been hit by far the worst, although I'm seeing now Michigan per capita has had a very high, a very high fatality rate from the disease. But New York has had the most cases, the most fatalities. It's not even not even close. It's a very difficult distinction the city has. We have the the most deaths from a pandemic in the last 20 years. We have the most deaths from a terrorist attack in the last 20 years. New York has been getting it pretty tough for a while now. But the rest of the country. Those of you who are listening right now in Texas, in Colorado, in Florida, in North and South Carolina, in Indiana, in Minnesota, those of you listening all across the rest of the country, you also have these restrictions in place. And you must ask the question, why? Your healthcare systems were not overwhelmed. In fact, the biggest pressure on the healthcare system, if you're in any other state listening to this, if you're in Washington state, the first place to get hit with a major outbreak. You know, the Portland area uh, of 
Oregon. I mean, just just pick a place. And the biggest problem that you're seeing in the healthcare system is that we do not, in fact, have enough procedures going on to keep those systems going. We're furloughing nurses and doctors, which furloughs come before firings, right? Furloughs are what you do as, in a, as a measure, an extreme measure, where you have productive employees that you wish you could keep, but you simply don't have the cash flow to keep them on payroll at that time. By the way, many media companies are doing this too, and this is a problem. This is a problem across the board, but it's a huge problem in the healthcare system, which we were told that's why you have to flatten the curve. Okay, so now we're at this other place. So we've seen that the curve has been flattened, and now we're being told, as we're going into the warmer months, we do know, why would, why would this respiratory virus, again, facts, reason, logic, put aside the, the shrill part of, you just want grandma to die. Just, just put aside the idiots for a moment. Why would this upper respiratory disease act differently from all the different strains of influenza, why would this upper respiratory disease be different than other coronaviruses? Remember, this is the novel coronavirus. This is a new one, right? SARS-CoV-2, SARS uh, as opposed to SARS-CoV-1, which was, we just knew that one as SARS, right? Severe acute respiratory syndrome. Um, why would this be different than all of those when warm weather, we know, limits transmission? Now, why? There's a lot of theories as to why, but does, does anyone get as worried about and many of you who are listening to this are in the high risk category for flu and you deal with that and hopefully you take the vaccine or if you don't take the vaccine you keep your immune system as strong as you can you take those basic precautions but are you more or less concerned about flu in july than you are in january we all know the answer and yet now our public health officials and our increasingly tyrannical governors and mayors people that are supposed to execute government policy, not make up laws. And that's what they are doing. They are making up laws in this process. Where does their authority end? Do they have the authority to tell you you just flatly cannot leave your home on pain of arrest because of a virus? Why not? They think they have the authority to tell you you can't be out in a public space with a few people around you, masked or not. They think they have the authority to tell you you can't open your business. And if you do... As uh, a tattoo parlor owner in North Carolina found out over the weekend, they'll show up and they'll arrest you. They'll throw your butt in prison for doing something that you should be able to do. You have a constitutional right to be able to do. And yet they just say no, no lockdown for as long as we say. Quarantines, remember, also always... There's a reason we call it a quarantine. Does anyone know why we call it a quarantine? It's interesting. You, you learn more about the history of pandemics and you understand more about how we should view this current moment. Quarantine comes from uh, the quar, Q-U-A-R, Italian for 40, right? When you look at the origins, I mean, that, that's the base of the word. It's because it used to be that you would stay indoors away from people for 40 days. So there was always a risk. There was always an understanding that you would come back up. Quaranta giorni. There we go. Quaranta giorni. 40 days. The Italian word for 40 days. This is from 14th century ships. Particularly Venice was a place because of all of the commerce around the Mediterranean and the Silk Road, which Venice was a connection to, right? You had the Silk Road that took it across Asia 
and then it made its way to the Mediterranean, and then it spread across the Mediterranean. Venetian ships were hugely involved, particularly in the 14th, 15th, 16th century, in the trade of goods across the Mediterranean. But that's how we got to Quaranta Giorni, 40 days. But they t- that, was, that was what it was, right? You would, you would stay, if you were on an infected ship, you would stay for 40, and then you're done. It wasn't 40 days, and then maybe another 40 if somebody else gets infected a day later, and you know. No, there was an effort to, to keep a very specific risk of infection low and, and contained, but not for everybody. It wasn't when a ship arrived in Venice and they had to put it in the 40 days of, uh, they had to put it in the 40 days of quarantine, but the whole city was under quarantine. That's, that's not the way, otherwise they would never be able to function, right? Every time they had a, a, a concern about this, we have gone overboard. Now we're at this, we're going to just keep on lockdown, unlock, lockdown, unlock, lockdown, unlock. This is crazy. It's absolutely nuts. And remember, they're not taking sick people and trying to prevent and, and, and setting them aside and say, hey, while you're sick, you got to stay away from people. They're telling all of us to stay in our homes. What's the justification for this? I keep reading these these scaremongering headlines and the Drudge Report, which is a site that I've for many, many years been reading. I mean, going back to college, I've been reading Drudge Report for decades. It's just scaremongering now. Fears of a second wave. Every day I see more fears of a second wave. Uh, Well, what's the alternative? When will there not be fears of a second wave? When we have a perfect test and trace system up? That's absurd. That's never going to happen. So we can stop with that. But that they keep bringing up something that's as absurd as the test and trace because what else are they going to say? Lockdown forever? They know lockdown forever is not a real option either. And then that brings us to our current moment. Open up the country. Protect the vulnerable and give people freedom and choice. Right? We should have very strict procedures in place for um, nursing homes, for assisted living facilities, strict procedures you know the, yeah if you're, if you're talking about a place where you have a high concentration of people over 65 living together yeah temperature checks making sure that you know blood draws from staff to check for immunity i mean whatever you got to do to make those folks safe but you can actually do it in those situations and for families who have a senior living in the home they need to establish how they keep that person safe, how they can create a safe. And maybe the state does have to step in and allow for, you know, there's all these different hotels that are offering up room for, rooms for first responders. I mean, there are ways to deal with this, is all I'm saying. But you can't do this to the entirety of society. It's not possible. You can't protect everybody, and especially because the numbers don't show that everybody's at equal risk, not even close. So why are we still on lockdown here? Why is it that when I was out on a beautiful Saturday, uh, w- walking outside in New York and I went to the park and I took the dog for a walk and everyone, including people on bicycles, people jogging, people on these little electric scooters and this other contraption that's like one wheel that you stand on that, you know, drives you along and it's like a unicycle, but it's uh, electrified or has electric propulsion. Electrified would be a different kind of thing. Uh, why are they all wearing masks? Well, because if you don't wear a mask now, you're a bad person. And that's really been the change. If you don't wear a mask, you're a bad human being. You're putting people at risk. That's interesting because two months ago we were told when this was at maximum uh, spread, when the volatility of this virus couldn't have been any higher, when it was more likely than ever that you would have been around people with the virus, don't wear masks. You'll steal them from the first responders. 
That was the theory. The theory was wrong. We keep seeing experts being wrong all along this pathway. And I mean Fauci, I mean Burks, they're, they're wrong over and over again. And yet, if you have any questions about the experts now, we haven't learned from the last 90 days. You see, at least as a society, we're, we're very slow to learn this. The people who are telling us what to do, they're making it up as they go along. Other than the most basic common sense precautions, shut down the whole country? Does anyone think that that was a good idea? There are literally thousands of counties with uh, almost no cases of this. Almost no cases. I'm sure there are a lot. I'm sure there are hundreds of counties with zero cases of this. I mean, it depends on where you are. Lockdown. You got to go lockdown. I think there were five states that resisted the total lockdown. But even in those states, I'm sure there were there were procedures put in place and limitations and also how much business you know, are a lot of uh, how much business are a lot of places going to be able to do when the rest of the country is not doing any business. So the, the ramifications of this have been enormous, as you know, and they're not changing. We're going to have to push back. We're, this is where we are now. We're not we're no longer in a place where we can sit. You know, yeah, YouTube is taking down anything that's contrary, the WHO and governors are saying that you can't protest because protest of policies is non-essential. Religious service is non-essential. Liquor stores are essential and no offense to liquor stores, but all these other things, non-essential, they say. Uh, Look at how quickly those of us who have been warning about the growth of, of government at all levels and the need to keep government in check and our concerns about the uh, administrative state and its ability to inflict itself upon us with really no with no uh, ramifications for it other than it wants more money and wants to grow. What, what, what are we to do? There's no accountability. Those of us who have been warning about this, now we have a situation where we're basically there. We're at a point where the government thinks it can tell you what to do what you get, where you can go, and where is the justification for this? As I said, when, when the, for public health reasons, 500 years ago, 600, 700 years ago, they would, they would say if you were on an infected ship, possibly with plague, they would keep, you, they'd keep that ship separate for 40 days. So at least you knew that after 40 days, you're going to be... But once this thing has spread all over the place, you're going to quarantine an entire civilization, an entire society, endlessly. All diseases in the past have either become cyclical and human beings have built up immunity to it over time. And yes, there have been devastating losses. There have been devastating losses from flu, from malaria, from from smallpox. But over time, we either develop immunity to these things or over time we develop in the more modern sense, we've developed therapeutics and vaccines. But shut down everything indefinitely and then keep shutting down, keep shutting down, keep shut. No, that's not an option. And this is what the public health authorities have led us to. They can talk about all the benchmarks and all this other stuff, but that's really just a bunch of malarkey because we need to just reopen the country and start taking smart measures and do what we can to protect the vulnerable population and also make sure that we take the basic mitigation measures that we would all take for any respiratory infection. You know, hand washing is a good idea, period. It's a good idea in hospitals. You have 80,000 people die a year from hospital acquired infection. You know what the number one reason for that is that they cite? Either dirty instruments or dirty hands being used in the OR. It's one of the biggest risks. That's right. Not washing stuff. So 
we are now seeing the point where we've crossed over as a country to this can't be allowed to continue anymore. But the governors and the they're pushing harder. They're going in the other direction. They're saying uh, we are doubling down on this policy. And if you have a problem with it, we'll have people with guns and sticks throw your face into the cement and make you sit in a cell for a day or two. How do you like that? This is going to get very bad, my friends. Enough is enough. The lib consensus around endless lockdown was wrong. It was unnecessary, and it's time to stop. And everyone can start yelling and shout about, oh, blah, blah, blah. What, is, what is their plan? A phased? No, no. There's, no. there's no phased over months and months and months with the possibility of more lockdowns and more phasing and more lockdowns. The virus is out there. We can take steps to try to live and continue with life, or we can hide under our beds as a society and hope that the experts who have been buffoonish in seeing this coming, in knowing what to do about it in the beginning, in public, I mean, at the public health policy level, it has been a catastrophe. But we're supposed to listen to them now about how we should run our entire society? I don't think so. Open up, folks. It's time to open up. You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. If you're scared, you're going to stay back a little bit and you're going to watch it. And I think anyone over 60, because we have pretty good, uh, we have a pretty good roadmap right now. Anybody over 60, you could say 65, but let's make it 60. We have to protect those people and we have to watch it and maybe they stay back longer. But no, I think you can really have it both ways. I think a lot of people want to go back. They just want to go back. You see it every day. You see demonstrations all over the country. And those are meaningful demonstrations. Oh, it's big stuff. But you also have some people that are very scared. Uh, probably everybody's scared when you get right down to it. It's a terrible thing, a terrible thing that happened to our country. I think the president sees this the right way. People want to go back. If you don't want to go back, you don't have to. No, no one's making anyone leave their home. No one's making anyone go out and not do enough social distancing or whatever it may be. So if, if staying home, as we're led to believe, keeps you safe, although I would actually argue that in some circumstances staying home depending on whether you have someone else in the household who's not staying home, the the transmission rates in the home are very high, Uh, but the president gets it. People should be allowed to make decisions about their lives now, and the government shouldn't be making all these decisions. Thanks for listening to the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Remember to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, the iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. We've saved lives in the process, and we have to keep listening to the epidemiologists and experts and not listen to the partisan rhetoric or these political rallies or or tweets, for that matter. We have to keep doing the right thing, the next right thing. Whether you agree with me or not, I'm working to protect your life if you live in the state of Michigan. I'm going to continue to do my job regardless of what tweets come out or what polls come out or what people think that is, you know, makes sense. We're going to listen to facts and science because we've got to get this right. What do the facts and science tell us? Someone should ask Governor Whitmer that one. Um, Someone should ask what it is exactly that she thinks we're supposed to do here. Uh, remember that there's a there's a great quote that I'm sure you have seen uh, many times shared, but it's from C.S. Lewis of all tyrannies, a tyranny sincerely exercised for the good of its victims may be the most oppressive. It would be better to live under robber barons than under omnipotent moral busybodies. The robber barons cruelty may sometimes sleep, 
His cupidity may at some point be satiated, but those who torment you, uh, for, torment us for our own good will torment us without end, for they do so with the approval of their own conscience. I destroy all your rights and tell you what to do for your own good, America, or Michigan in this case. That's what Governor Whitmer is saying. We're also hearing how she may be a Biden, a uh, late contender here for the Biden vice presidential nomination. Oh, I didn't mention that there's some new Biden stuff we'll have to get to. Some fascinating efforts to uh, to make Joe Biden okay for a liberal feminist to vote for, even though there is still this completely credible allegation out there against him. And based on the standards that were set up for the Kavanaugh tribunal, which is what it was, Joe Biden should be finished, but he's not. They'll rehabilitate his image or they'll just pretend that it was never marred in the first place. It's all fine. It's all fine. That's what they'll do. Uh, But Whitmer is telling everybody that this is for their own good. And I can imagine the people that are showing up whose businesses are being destroyed. And particularly the, the small business owner is getting the worst of it here economically in many ways. Because if you're a worker, maybe you are covered by PPP for a while. And in fact, some workers don't want to go back to work because they're making more money now than they had before the pandemic uh, shut everything down. And if you're wealthy and you have savings or you can work remotely, you don't really care. But it's the person who has put their life savings into a small business of some kind or a person who has spent a decade or two or three building a business that employs a handful of people who sure now has money to pay the wages of his employees, but doesn't have sufficient money uh, for rent, for utilities, for all the other costs, and has to wonder if he'll ever or she'll ever be able to reopen. Those are the people that are having the worst end of this economically. Those are the people that are having the most difficulty here financially. Um, But there's not a lot of focus on it. I mean, I, I saw that one third over the weekend, what I read was that one third of small businesses may never, may never reopen. That's, and that's nationwide. That's tens of millions of businesses. A third of them may never reopen. That's what we're losing here in this process. And you could say, oh, well, they'll just start another business. Oh, that's very easy to say. How much capital have they eaten up in the process of trying to get through all of this? How much have they lost in sales? And what will these businesses be like when they do come back? I went to a, uh, a cafe over the weekend with takeout only, social distancing line. I mean, New York has these very strict mandated procedures you can't walk into a drugstore if you're running into a drugstore saying hey i've got to get my you know my medication you know i need my my heart meds or something and you don't have a mask on sorry buddy go get a mask somewhere not allowed that's where they are now Uh, but i I went into a cafe over the weekend and uh, i had i will tell you i had a producer mark it was a a turmeric a honey turmeric latte which was delicious and cost about seven dollars but it was quite good. And turmeric has anti-inflammatory properties, I will have you know. Well, I hope it keeps you nice and healthy. Thank you. That's right. So I try, I'd never had one of these before. That was the fanciest latte ever. It was delicious, by the way. Um, but I went in and I asked the young man who was working in the... Young man. Good gosh, Buck. What are you... I asked the, the guy who was working behind the counter. I said, how are you doing? It's a beautiful day outside. He said, well, you know, we're at... On our best days, we're maybe doing half the business we would on a normal day at this time of year. On our best days. And now that that's obviously during the lockdown still. But I would wonder how much how much of that will change. You know, there are a lot of people who are who are completely terrified by this, including a lot of people who are at very, very low risk of it. But they're terrified anyway. And Governor Whitmer 
Another notice how Democrat governors are more likely to take the extreme view, the apocalyptic view of this. And Republican governors are more willing to say, hold on, maybe we should open up and do more. But how has this become partisan? I, I think it's more than even just about Trump. I think that there's a difference in the ideology and belief of conservatives and liberals on a very on a very fundamental level. I think conservatism is more, well, of course, more concerned about government overreach generally. Although I see people who are pro-Trump and who are conservative media personalities and they're like, locked down as long as it takes. Listen to the experts. And I'm like, what? Listen, what experts? What are they saying? We have the, this guidance from the federal government, but it's just guidance. And it's, haven't we learned that some states are at much greater risk than others? So shouldn't some states be moving faster than others, even under the guidance that has been put forward by the federal government? And we'll see. We'll see how this goes in places that don't listen to the most extreme scenarios of this. And I'm not even getting into all the fighting now over how they're counting, you know, how they're counting deaths as COVID related. And there's all this other stuff. I mean, the hospitals now are incentivized. This is real. Hospitals are getting paid more for treatment of people if they if they die um, from COVID-19 than if they died from any other cause. Now, you get yelled at if you bring this up, but from what I understand, that is that is occurring. I mean, this is from medical personnel who are saying, yeah, look, this is a real thing. You also have the hospital systems clamping down. I was supposed to have an interview with a doctor on this show last week. I was going to bring on somebody who had a very interesting point of view on this. You know what happened? I got a, I got a message that the guy, someone else from his hospital system had spoken to the press and the president of the hospital found out about it. And he I, I, I'm not sure if he's been suspended or just got a, like an official warning letter, but he got in trouble. The doctor wouldn't come on. Wouldn't talk. I can't. It's like, look, I can't. I, I don't blame the doctor. I'm just saying this is where we are now. So so the experts, the quote experts are who you should listen to. But if you bring on or if you want to talk to an expert who deviates from this consensus in some way, you'll get in trouble or you'll get put off. Uh, you'll get shut down from YouTube or you'll get removed from social media. That's not how science works. Science is never about consensus. And this is why, you know, the, the, the collective, the beehive mentality of libs, you know, do what we say or else we're all right because we all agree. Uh, this has really exploited and, and really bastardized science for a long time because it's, it's about what is true, what is provable, what is repeatable. It's about theorizing and then testing and then retesting and testing again. They don't seem to get that. And there are huge areas. There are huge gaps of our knowledge in science dealing with a whole bunch of things, including COVID-19. And so you need to be open to ideas that are not necessarily mainstream, right? If we, if we only relied on mainstream ideas for science, uh, we would not have the advances that we've enjoyed in the last 150 years because go back in time, as I've told you, and there have been people breaking with the consensus and they're the ones that lead to breakthroughs. People that come up with ideas that are not, if they were commonplace, then everybody would be testing it. Everybody would know. But instead, we have the, the, the hive mentality of the left taking over here once again. And Whitmer and all these others saying, just shut down because that's what the experts tell us to do. Well, then someone explained to me why Florida, which we were told was going to be a disaster. Same thing with Sweden, but let's, let's bring it home to Florida. Florida is now like the, the Sweden of America which I don't think anybody would ever think that's a phrase that's uttered, but here we are. Florida is like the Sweden of America. Let me, let me explain why in, in just a second. You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. 
focus on facts and not fear. And I think that there's been a lot that's been done to try to promote fear. We were told over and over again, Florida was going to be just like New York when it came to the coronavirus. Well, let's look at the tail of the tape. How close were we to New York fatalities? Obviously a much different picture. You know, we have, this is uh, uh, equal population per 100,000, much, much less. Uh, even if you did absolute numbers, we have two million more people. New York far, far and above uh, what Florida is. Same thing with hospitalizations. Hospitalization rate that is a mere fraction of what you see, not just in New York, uh, but many other states. And so saying Florida was going to be like New York was wrong, uh, and people need to know it was wrong. Why was it wrong, too? They did say this. They claimed that because Florida has a particularly uh, top-heavy population when it comes to age, right? You have a, a, a bulge at the top of the age bracket, although not as much as per capita Maine. I didn't know this. Interesting fact. Maine has the highest per capita senior citizen population uh, anywhere of any state in the country. So as a percentage of overall population, not in total numbers. Uh, but Florida did not get hit nearly as badly as people were saying it would. You had flight from New York City at the at really at the height of spread to Florida. And so there were all these concerns that you were going to have effectively New Yorkers infecting Florida and adding to that that rate of spread of the disease. And we had all these very concerning news stories coming out about this. And everyone was saying, well, Florida's not locking down fast enough or with uh, enough urgency. So it's going to suffer this terrible fate. And then we saw what the numbers were. And Wall Street Journal pulled this together in, a, in an editorial over the weekend by Arian Campo Flores and Alex Leary. Smart or lucky how Florida dodged the worst of coronavirus. Now, remember, we, we saw... We saw what this virus does when it has essentially unrestricted ability to engage in community spread and to go all over a population. We keep hearing about, oh, we did the lockdowns, we did the lockdowns. This was in the this was in America at least starting in middle of January. And most states were not really locking down until April. So you had spread and spread and spread. And we see in New York City, one in four people are believed to have been infected with this. So this had an enormous spread. Now, now we're going to be told, oh, no, because of the lockdowns, we prevented the catastrophe from being so, so much worse than it was. Well, OK, but explain Florida to me, because Florida has not suffered a catastrophe relative to other uh, hard hit states at all, despite having an older seniors, uh, a lot of senior citizens in the population. Florida, according to this Wall Street Journal piece, had, quote, six deaths per 100,000 people as of Saturday, compared with 42 in Louisiana, 56 in Massachusetts and 97 in New York per 100,000. So Florida has six per 100,000. New York has almost 100 per 100,000. That's an enormous, an enormous difference for two states that both have large population, a lot of senior citizens, uh, you know, a lot of uh, major urban areas. I mean, if you look at this, you say, well, hold on a second. How do we get it? But, but there's no interest really in looking at what Florida did right. Instead, they just wave it aside and say, oh, well, Florida, you know, they got lucky, I guess. Really lucky? Maybe uh, the fact that people in Florida have more outdoorsy lifestyles than they do in New York. 
Uh, maybe the fact that the governor there allowed for high-risk areas to move more quickly, lower-risk areas of the state. He localized the response, did not do a one-size-fits-all lockdown policy, as we're told was necessary. If you want to save lives, you must do this, right? If you want to save lives. And you look at, uh, as of Friday, for example, there were, this is, this is from last week, there were uh, 1,384 residents of, long care faci- of long-term care facilities in the state with COVID-19, or 0.9% of the total resident population. There were 388 deaths of long-term care residents. People age 65 and up make over 20% of Florida's population. And again, the second highest proportion of anywhere after Maine. So Florida was supposed to be just like New York, just like Italy, and it didn't happen. Why? Now, there are some, as I said, lifestyle uh, differences between the way New York City operates and the way Florida operates. But you look at northern Italy. Are they all in mass transportation? Why were they hit so badly? There are lessons to be learned here. And, and luck is not I'm sorry, luck is not one that we're just going to accept and move past because Florida didn't do what the ultra lockdown crowd said they had to do. And in a sense, Florida this way is kind of like Sweden. People were saying that the consent when I say people, I mean, the consensus view was that Sweden was heading for disaster. Disaster did not befall Sweden, even though Sweden did not do what the lockdown chorus was saying Sweden needs to do. So now we turn around and say, well, hold on a second, Sweden. OK, fine. Maybe that's far away. And I hear all these stories about how Sweden has like a particular culture and it's so different. Although, why did South Korea manage this without locking? Why did Japan manage without locking down its whole economy? Countries have done this without the lockdown. And everyone can can claim now, which I see happening. Oh, well, they're basically doing a lockdown. They're just not calling it that really, because a couple of weeks ago it was they're heading for disaster because they're not doing it. And then when people see results that don't fit with what their view was or what their advice was, all of a sudden what they said a week or two ago no longer matters. I don't like that. I don't accept that. Florida was supposed to be heading for disaster. I remember there was so much pressure. Oh, the governor needs to lock down the beaches. He didn't lock the beaches down fast enough. He's the mayor from Jaws, which I just rewatched recently. And there's a lot of COVID-19, great white shark theoretical crossover when you watch jaws you'll say oh yeah this is the economy versus saving lives and there's some real it's a it's a movie for our time and it's such a great movie i was just talking to a snow princess and my mom about it over the weekend uh it's such a great film you know it really holds up so well it's it's in that sort of pantheon of just great cinema where you're it's not great because people tell you it is it's great because you want to watch it a hundred times and it's super entertaining and well done uh, so Florida was was supposed to be at this really great risk. It didn't end up happening. Why? They don't have answers and they don't want to find out the answers. They just want to tell you lock down. Shut up. We'll tell you when you can come outside. Remember, they didn't lock the beaches down fast enough, but it turns out that they were OK. Remember all the spring breakers that were getting all this abuse heaped on them? You know, people that were, you know, high school, college age spring break. If you're 18 to 22, your risk from this virus is almost zero. Now, you could say, Bach, but well, they, they're going to infect older people if they're around. Uh, we should work on separating young people who are 20 from old people who older people, rather, who are at higher risk. Because herd immunity is happening one way or another. So controlling the spread within the herd 
is a better public policy, and that had been public health policy until now. But no one even wants to look at Florida as an example. They, they just want to find excuses for why it doesn't count somehow. Lockdowns must continue until we say they end. I'm not buying it. Thanks for listening to the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Remember to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, the iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Special treat team. We are joined by the one and only Michael Knowles. He is the host of the uh, aptly named Michael Knowles show, which makes a lot of sense over at the Daily Wire, dailywire.com for all of his latest. Michael, great to see you, man. How you doing? Good to see you, Buck. What's going on? Not much. So so I'm here East Coast in the middle of Lib Crazy Town, New York. You're out there on the West Coast in the midst of beach shutdowns. Just first tell me what what is the feeling like right now in, in California when, you know, in New York, we got hit really badly, right? You guys did not get hit really badly. And yet I keep seeing all these videos uh, and we've played some of the audio here on the show of like helicopters yelling at people to go inside. And what the heck is going on? Yeah, relatively speaking, California is fine, particularly compared to New York. You may have actually seen one of my videos going around over the weekend because Buck, I don't know if you knew this when you invited me on the show. You are speaking right now to a criminal. I violated Daddy Newsom's stay-at-home order. I went onto the beaches, and I got these videos down in Orange County over the weekend of helicopters shouting at people, go indoors, stay off of the very wide-open beaches, and crowd into dank apartment buildings. And uh, we went to Huntington. We went down to Newport Beach. The, the trouble here is that the governor, Gavin Newsom, about a month and a half ago, said more, I guess now more than a month and a half ago, said that California was going to be devastated. It was going to be just like New York. We needed to bring in the hospital ships. We needed a lot of federal aid. None of that happened. Uh, he shut down the whole state because all of these two-bit politicians were trying to one-up each other on who could take the virus more seriously. None of that happened. It obviously caused massive devastation in the fifth largest economy in the world. The numbers are much lower. Thank God. Very happy to hear about it. And now, instead of lightening up on the lockdowns, they're actually doubling down. Now, as there appears to be no argument left for the lockdown, don't forget the point of it was to lower the curve so as not to overwhelm the healthcare system and buy time for a vaccine. We haven't even come close to overwhelming the healthcare system. We're not going to get a vaccine before this thing spreads. So there's no argument left in California for this lockdown. He doubles down. I think it's about flexing arbitrary power. I think it's about punishing political opponents, which is why Newsom targeted Orange County, which is one of the few conservative counties in California. And I think at this point, it's about covering his political derriere because he got it so wrong that he needs to at least perform the prophecy that he made, which is that this virus would devastate California. So, so Michael, I just want to know, how is it going for the people of California who recognize this for what it is? You know, out in Michigan, there have been these protests because I actually went years ago and gave a speech in central Michigan and central Michigan is redder than parts of Alabama that you would think of as very red central Michigan. People like the right to bear arms. People like their freedoms. Um, I have not seen anything like that yet in California, except there seem to be some protests along one of the beaches so are, are those general, you know, is this a politicized protest or, or a, a partisan protest like you're seeing elsewhere where it's generally people that I think are more, you know, pro-freedom, pro-Second Amendment who are standing up to what they view as an increasingly tyrannical government? Uh, or is this just people are saying, hey, 
Open up the beaches. This is so dumb. I don't even care what my politics are. It's a little bit of both, but it's more politicized than not politicized. I was walking along Newport Beach yesterday, and there was a guy who was sitting there with his Harley parked on the beach, American flag sticking out of it, and he looks at me as I'm walking by with my wife, and he just goes, feels good to be free, doesn't it? You know, and we saw a number of these people who were protesting as well. You had some pro-lifers out there. Did he have you like a Daily Wire tattoo who, on his shoulder, by the way? I know you guys are very... <laughs> yeah, he did. I always, I always uh, can really spot the fans with the huge Daily Wire tattoos on their chest. <laughs> you know, I mean, this guy did did look like, uh, you know, one of us. He looked like a conservative guy. And I saw yesterday... Uh, former President George Bush put out a video and he basically said we shouldn't politicize this virus. We shouldn't treat it as a political matter. And I, I like the intention uh, that I suspect was behind that video, but I, I don't think the point is quite right. This has been politicized from the very beginning. It has been politicized by liberals and by the left who want to use the veneer of science to take all of our political choice away from us. So what they're saying is we can't listen to the president. We can't listen to our elected representatives. We have to listen to the exalted experts, the, the great Dr. Fauci, the oracle who will tell us when we're allowed to go outside again. This is the liberal technocratic vision of how society should be run by progressive experts who tell us all exactly what to do. But that's not how politics really works. Politics is not an exact science. We discuss things with one another. We debate. We persuade our fellow citizens. And, you know, when, when people go a little too far, and they prioritize total safety, you know, uh, over the freedoms that we all enjoy, ironically, actually undermining public health because they're taking away those freedoms, because externalities happen, like suicides going up, drug overdoses going up. Because of that, it is totally right for us to debate that and go out and push back on arbitrary power. And I think that's what you're beginning to see in the more conservative counties. We're speaking to Michael Knowles of The Michael Knowles Show over at The Daily Wire. Um, Michael, the plan for cons- uh, for uh, the liberals in ca- California is what exactly? In New York State, we have a 12-point plan that Governor Cuomo has put out that is absurd. I mean, the, the worst part of it, or I should say the most unrealistic part, is test and trace. People keep saying, and they think that this is smart, we need to get to, depending on who you ask, you know, 5 to 20 million tests a day. Who's going to take these tests? I mean, unless they're going to and maybe this is the plan. They're going to force people to line up like cattle and all just keep taking because you'd have to do it every two weeks as well to make sure you had continued. uh, You know, if you didn't have antibodies, you're still susceptible to it. Right. So the test and trace scheme that they're talking about does not seem feasible in the least to me and and other people I talk to, including doctors who don't want to get in trouble for speaking publicly about this. There's a lot of that. Uh, what's the plan in California exactly? And, and I'm assuming that there's a, you guys have like a, a your own version of a coastal uh, coalition, right? There's there's Washington, Oregon, California are all working together. So how's the West Coast yeah. supposed to open up? Well, as as you point out with something like test and trace, the fact that it's not feasible is a feature, not a bug of the plan. They keep moving the goalposts on all of these reopen schemes because all of the predictions failed to come true. And so they're trying to get to a standard that's not possible to achieve so that they can justify having arbitrary power and proving that Donald Trump is a very bad man and they were all right to lock down and, and uh, defend every position they've taken. We're seeing that same thing happen out here in California. It tells you a lot about the price 
priorities of this state, though. They've issued a four-step four plan in California. We're in phase one, then we're weeks away from phase two, and then we are months away, to quote the governor, from phase three and phase four. In phase two, you begin to open up things like schools and daycare centers and retail shops. But it's not until phase three that you open up churches and other places like gyms and things like that. Consider the priorities, how warped this society has become. The virus is no less deadly at school than it is at church. If uh, you know older people go to church, they can obviously stay home. The kids who are going to school could infect their teachers or their guidance counselors or the administrators, go home and infect the rest of their families. It's not as though this would prevent you know large numbers of people from gathering. Schools are a lot bigger than churches, generally speaking. It just shows that as a society, we've prioritized. We need to get the kids out of the house. We've got to get them into places where they can be indoctrinated into the ideology of the state. We've got to open up retail businesses so people can continue to consume cheap products, probably manufactured in China, but we won't open up churches because we don't need to open up churches because, come on, all that stuff is just silly superstition anyway. I think these are the thoughts that are going through Gavin Newsom's mind, and he's got a coalition, as you say, of uh, various states in the region, which, by the way, on the face may be unconstitutional because there's a little language in the Constitution about how the states are not allowed to form alliances with each other uh, beyond the scope of the federal government. So obviously nobody in the state house in Sacramento has even given that a moment's thought. Uh, they, they tend not to focus very much on the Constitution to begin with, and I think that's part of the reason why we find ourselves in this pickle here where the arbitrary power increases and uh, as, as the virus itself gets better, all of a sudden we find ourselves in a much worse political situation. How far are you from personal noncompliance and, and how, how deep on that are you willing to go? I mean, I was out over the weekend here in New York and every time you, because everyone here pretty much has masks in public, including people in their cars, they've got masks on inside their vehicle by themselves, uh, jogging on bicycles. Uh, if, if, by the way, if the virus, first of all, if you're on a bicycle, the chances, chances are, chances are you're probably under 70, which means that your chance of dying from this, if you were to get it, as we know, statistically is very, very small. And especially the guys that yeah. wear the like, super tight lycra neon racing suit stuff those guys tend to be and gals tend to be younger healthier cyclists if the virus can fly through the air and go up their nose and infect them while they're on their bicycle and a bike lane and no human being is like near them for more than half a second um we're all gonna die i, I don't think they really understand that that's like, like, right we, we've reached this point of absurdity and so I, I i pull my mask down a little bit or i take it off and I, I'm like a rebel without a cause for a second until I realize, well, I guess I do have a cause <laughs> that this is absurd and this is all dumb. And I look around and I'm like, they're the crazy people. But, Michael, they think that I'm crazy. Where are you on this? Of course, I'm a little bit more on your side, Buck. You'll be shocked to hear. We like to hope, of course, that the people wearing the very tight bicycling suits tend to be the younger, healthier people. Sometimes we're not always so lucky. Uh, this is part of the arbitrary problem, right? Initially, we were told by the Surgeon General, masks do not work. Stop buying masks. Don't buy masks. Multiple exclamation points. Then about five minutes later, the same guy says, hey, by the way, go buy masks. You have to buy masks. It reminds me of that line of, that could be so often applied to leftism, that which is not prohibited is mandatory. And that's, that's what we're seeing with the masks. Of course, people wearing masks in their car or like people who wear socks in the shower they don't seem to understand what the purpose of masks 
are anyway. The, the point here is to take reasonable mitigation, but unfortunately people have been whipped up into hysteria here. And so no, if I'm walking out along the beach and I'm 10 feet away at least from anybody, I'm not going to wear a mask. A funny point on the beach, of course, I'm, I'm non-compliant to begin with because I have gone to the beach, and yet researchers out of East Anglia University are showing that there's a significant correlation between a vitamin D deficiency and a risk from coronavirus. So it would seem to me probably pretty healthy to go out and get a little bit of sunshine. That's true most of the time. But uh, we're now past the point of staring coldly and objectively at the facts. We're now at this point of whipped up hysteria where if you walk out onto the sidewalk without a mask, people look at you like you're, you're a character in contagion. They look at you like you're personally massacring their grandparents or something. That level of social hysteria is not sustainable. But a guy, You know, a guy in Boston got arrested for pulling a knife on somebody who was jogging without a mask. Did you see that? I mean, that, that's where and we know that's a real story because there was an arrest made. This is a real thing. Uh, that's where we are with with all this. I mean, I just wonder when it becomes a duty for those of us who have platforms to start saying, you know, if your conscience, if your conscience dictates noncompliance, noncompliance, which is going, which is effectively civil disobedience. I mean, I think that's where we're in New York. We're going to have to have that before they stop. Uh, and I'm, I worry that it'll take yeah. a long time too. that this economy will essentially be completely beaten down and crushed. And then people will start to realize we can't continue with the man, but it'll be too late. That's my concern here. But I also think that the authorities will drag this out to the point where that's your only option. It's just to say, I'm not I'm not doing this. Any, no, meaning keep your business closed no matter what, keep, because they're the, the plan, as I said, is insane. Do you guys think it's going to be? A little better than that. I mean, we remember we've had far more cases. And so there's a greater sense of public fear and, and urgency around this than there is on the or at least I assume there is on the West Coast. Um, do you think that, you oh, know, yeah. is Newsom going to let let this stuff go loose by June, July? No, absolutely not. The, the reason why they're not going to loosen up, no matter if it's California, which is doing basically fine, or New York, which is doing less fine, is that there's no political incentive to reopen. You know, left-wingers in the media like Bill Maher told us months ago that they were praying for an economic recession because that would cause some pain, but it would be a lot better than having four more years of Trump. So they've already got that in place. You, you've seen other media figures do this. Obviously, there's a political incentive for Democrats to keep the economy depressed. House Democrats and uh, and Senate Democrats, too, in that relief bill, negotiated a provision that would disincentivize employment, that would make the unemployment benefits such that it was better not to work than to work, and this would last basically right up until the election. So there are a lot of people, and there's a lot of evidence that people are working behind the scenes to drag this thing out. Obviously, Prudence is a virtue. If I were, you know, on the streets of New York, I were tightly surrounded by a hundred other people, maybe I would put the mask on, right? If I'm walking on a beach in California, if I'm walking along in Central Park or something, I'm not surrounded by anybody, then I'm not going to put the mask on at all. And I think that the people who are demanding it are demanding it merely to flex their muscles. There's obviously no evidence of a public health benefit, but that's the danger we're in. And I think that the conservatives, perhaps like the former president, who are arguing that we've got to stop treating this as a political matter. What they're arguing is unilateral unilateral disarmament. Yeah, Yeah, no, I think that's true. Well, before we let you go, Michael, I just just have to know something. You know, some other commentators out there um, have decided to use this as an opportunity to let things loose a little bit. And they have, in fact, grown a bit of facial hair. Now, you and Mr. Ben Shapiro 
You guys both look like you're, you know, you're, you're showing up for the first day at the law firm, completely clean shaven. Can the fans at the Daily Wire expect any change in this? Buck, I'm going to make a confession on your show right now. I tried it. Okay, I, tr- I was home for a few days before I decided I'm going to come back into the studio. So I tried it, and it turns out I'm really good at growing a beard everywhere except right, like, here. Except oh, for this you got to go mutton chops. Right next to my... You, you got to go mutton yeah, chops. I, you bring them back. <laughs> if, if you and... Ben, first of all, Matt, Matt Walsh has had a man beard but, for, like, the last decade. So we know Walsh has already... He's already been there. Like, Walsh was born with a beard, yeah. I think. Like, he came out, actually, as an infant <laughs> with a beard on. But you and, you and Shapiro... Clean shaven. The only one that I want to grow is a Fu Manchu, and then I assume I'll be accused of cultural appropriation. But I, it seems like the most fitting sort of facial hair for this Wuhan virus that we're all living through. Well, if you decide to join Team Beard, the water is warm over here, my friend. <laughs> Thank you so much. Michael Knowles of The Michael Knowles Show. We appreciate you joining us, man. Stay safe out in California. All right. Thanks, Buck. You too. You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Well, I think we're going to have a vaccine by the end of the year. Now, the doctors would say, well, you shouldn't say that. I'll say what I think. I've met with the heads of the big companies. These are great companies. Yeah, I think we're going to have a vaccine uh, much sooner rather than later. I think it will be. I think that will be done. I would rather have, frankly, therapeutic, meaning something to make people better, if not a cure, at least a therapeutic. The president's right that a therapeutic is our best short-term scenario of real victory here. I'm saying we'll have a vaccine by the end of the year. Remember, there's a lot that there's a lot of wiggle room in all this. Does that mean that we have established what the vaccine is, but still have to go through human trials, which are very lengthy, and then have to get the then have to get the vaccine produced in quantities that are large enough for people so that we can actually get the vaccine to create herd immunity among the whole global population, starting in the United States, but expanding everywhere else too. Uh, there is something called the human challenge trial, which you don't hear much about. And I wonder if you're going to start to hear more of it. It's removing some of the safety barriers for people to take a vaccine. Uh, and I, I would wonder if there's a huge ethical debate around this. Remember, it's individuals who are being told you're going to be effectively a guinea pig here which is different than the way they do, they do trials right now with a lot of safeguards built in. This would be, we think we have a virus that works. Does anyone want to try this? That's what a human challenge trial is. It's an extreme scenario, but aren't we in an extreme scenario? And is it worth discussing if people want to do this? Thanks for listening to the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Remember to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, the iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm shocked that during a crisis, it would be so partisan. You know, when you see all these committees, seven or eight committees, we haven't even started, and they have all these committees looking for trouble, just looking for trouble. Every enemy I have is put on a Democrat committee. And I was surprised. You know, they did the impeachment hoax. It was a total hoax over a phone call that was a perfect call. And we had tremendous, when you look at the House, I think it was 196 to nothing, the Republicans. So there was great unity in the Senate, the same thing. with all of that unity we have, in one sense, we have great unity. In another sense, I think they're going to come along. I mean, you know, I certainly hope so. But the main thing I have to do is bring our country back, and I want to get it back to where it was or maybe beyond where it was. You know, we have tremendous stimulus, all the money we've been talking about so far tonight. I think next year is going to be a phenomenal economic year. We can never forget all the people that have died, the souls that have, have been lost 
in this horrible thing that shouldn't shouldn't have happened. Just shouldn't have happened. It was such a horrible thing. And there's a lot, lot going on about finding out the answer to that because this is something that should never have happened. It should never have happened. And we'll get into the role that China has played in all of this. But I am seeing this very troubling uh, trend toward uh, pitting law enforcement against the population with the enforcement of stupid rules that they've just made that have just been these are not passed by legislatures. This is just the governor or whomever at the state level saying this is what you're going to do because this is this is government by because I said so or because the experts say so. That's what they claim. Here is a governor. I'm sorry, Mayor Lightfoot, who is showing up on the streets with with a whole crew around her, right, with a whole squad of various government officials, including law enforcement, walking around the streets of Chicago, making sure that people are distancing enough. And if they're not, she's letting them know that they will uh, very possibly be arrested. Play 11. Now, I've directed Superintendent Brown to order all police districts to give special attention to these parties. And this is how it's going to be. We will shut you down. We will cite you. And if we need to, we will arrest you and we will take you to jail. Period. There should be nothing unambiguous about that. Don't make us treat you like a criminal. But if you act like a criminal and you violate the law and you refuse to do what is necessary to save lives in the city in the middle of a pandemic, we will take you to jail, period. That is a pretty good summation of what tyranny in America would sound like. We're doing this to save lives. Do everything we say or else you're a criminal because we're doing this to save lives. This could be applied to any this. Uh, just understand this and people will they'll, they'll make all this noise about this because they know that it's true. Right. The shutdown libs know this is true. You could make the same case about any flu season. Lock people in their homes because you're saving lives. You're not allowed to leave your home peasant. We the uh, the echelon of society that make the decisions for you, the ruling class, we've decided that this is the way it shall be. And so it shall. And we will take people who are in law enforcement and tell them to use force against you if you have any problem with this. This is insane. This is insane. The risk of young, healthy people congregating even, oh my gosh, even in a group of five or ten people on the street in Chicago in sunny weather of of spreading this disease to each other and even more than that, of having this disease be a serious problem for them Assuming they're not in a high risk age category, the and let's be honest, who do we do we think there are a lot of 80 year olds who are gathering in groups of 20 saying, you know, we will not comply. No, of course not. It's people in their 20s and their 30s and in their 40s who are saying, look, this is crazy. And they're right. That's the problem. This is what the government yet hasn't conceded that if you're in your 20s, your 30s, you basically have a, a non-existent risk for this. You know, the media has been so irresponsible. Oh, there's this person who's who's 25 who died from this. Okay, how many how many 25 year olds uh, have died in the same month from any number of of causes out there? How many people that are 25 really die from covid-19 in this country? I mean, there's a there's a stats over the weekend that I think 10 people 
under 30 in all of Italy died from this. Ten people. Italy's a country of tens of millions of people. Ten people under 30. You know, people can die from any number of things. You can die from strep throat. True story. You can. You can die from cutting yourself in the shower and getting infected. Now, people say, oh, but look at the huge death toll. Right. Where, where is the concentration of mortality in the death toll? If you cut out people under 50 from the death toll, this is, a, this is not a major public health issue. If you were to cut out for people over 50, it's very serious. For people over 70, it's urgent. But wouldn't it be smarter to focus on, you know, helping those who have the pro- who have the higher risk instead of this universal lockdown policy? But but more than that, you're going to take people to prison. Think about how it would feel if you got taken to prison, because we're also all on edge now. And we, we've had enough of this social distancing orthodoxy that is being rammed down everyone's throats all the time. And if I'm within, you know, five feet of someone on the street, it's like we, I've committed some unpardonable sin. No, in, in reality, the chances of me actually having active infection right now, given what's going on in New York, it's very low. And even if I had active infection, the chances that I'd give it to somebody through casual open air contact walking past them is basically zero. And this is what the science says. And yet we're all told, oh, no, you can't do this. You can't be out, you can't be out in, a, in a group or you have to wear a mask if you are. but there's also this how dare you challenge my authority side to this from Mayor Lightfoot, from Mayor de Blasio, from a whole bunch, from Governor Whitmer, from Governor Cuomo, from Governor Newsom. You don't challenge my authority. You do as I say. What law exactly is this falling under? Where's the... You can be outside, but you can't be too close to people, but you should wear a mask, but you don't have to wear a mask. But if we tell you you can't be outside because there's too many people, listen to us or else you're going to prison. What, where is that law? I just want someone to show me where that is in the law books. The arbitrary arrest for lack of social distancing law. Now, we, we were, look, we operated in good faith. I would say probably too much good faith in the early phase of this. Meaning we, we thought the government would be, and this was a mistake, we thought the government would be reasonable. All right, we, you, need, you need two weeks. We all need two weeks to deal with this problem. As I've said, two weeks we could have done, no question. Business, I'm not saying it wouldn't have hurt. I'm not saying people wouldn't have lost wages, but we could backfill that and we'd be all right. Two weeks, maybe. Four weeks, a lot. Six weeks, crazy. Eight weeks, well, we're just destroying our economy now and we're listening to people who have no scientific basis for what they're telling us to do and then claim the science is on their side. Why are schools? I and mean, producer Mark has told me that New Jersey is shutting down schools for the rest of the year. And now there's talk that schools, and I should talk, it hasn't happened yet, but talk that schools may not be, even be open in the fall. Kids, people under 20 are at effectively zero risk from this disease. So they're not, they're not allowed to have an education anymore. They're supposed to stay home. And we've already seen the spikes in child abuse. We've seen the spikes in substance abuse in the home in front of kids. I mean, there's a lot of bad stuff going on. Millions and millions of people are locked in very negative situations that don't get tallied when we're looking at the cost of all of this, but should be. Well, there are people out there who want to tell you that if you have a problem with any of this, you're a bad person. If you have an issue with any of this, oh, here's, here's, a, here's fake tapper, uh, America's most fraudulent newsman, 
in that he pretends to be a nice, good guy on camera, but does DNC bidding all the time and is personally a psycho thin-skinned jerk. Uh, Here's Jake Tapper asking Governor Whitmer about whether or not the the protesters are well here. I'll just I'll just let the exchange happen. You can hear for yourself. Play 21. These protests came after President Trump uh, tweeted uh, liberate Michigan. He tweeted, quote, the governor of Michigan should give a little put out the fire. Uh, He said that these are very good people uh, about the protesters um, that were featured in the video, to which the executive director of the Jewish Democratic Council of America, Haley uh, Sofer, who is from Lansing, Michigan, she compared those comments to President Trump referring uh, to those marching alongside neo-Nazis in Charlottesville as very fine people. Is that how you see these protesters in, in that vein, in that extreme? Well, some of the outrageousness of what happened at our Capitol this week, um, you know, depicted some of the worst racism and and awful parts of our history in this country. You know, the Confederate flags and nooses, the um, swastikas, the, you know, behavior that you've seen in all of the clips is not representative of who we are in Michigan. So I, I just want to be clear, I, I, I have not. And I just looked at the, the footage that I saw. I did not see swastikas. Were there a lot of swastikas at the Michigan protest? Am I am I missing something? Producer Mark, did you see any swastikas at the protest? I'm asking, did you see any? I didn't see any. I haven't really seen much, but no, I did not see any in the little I saw. Uh, that That's that's I mean, look, I mean, I mean this. That would be news to me. But is the, is the plan here to look at a few people who maybe are crazy? You know, there are stupid racists in the country. Fine. But now if you oppose a lockdown order that I'm sitting here and I'm telling you, I'm speaking to medical experts who will tell you and you've heard from medical experts like those doctors out in California who were pulled off of YouTube, that lockdowns don't make sense. But notice the moral blackmail that is coming. Oh, so you side with those neo-Nazis, the people that are just like now telling now if you want uh, small businesses to be able to operate so that they're not destroyed forever, you're like the. You know, the, the tiki tar, uh, the tiki torch morons in Charlottesville. That's what that's where we are. That's what the government, I mean, the media rather and the government from Whitmer. That's what they want to tell you. This this is absurd. I mean, this is uh, this is crazy, but they're they're getting ready to make this just like that issue. Meaning if you're on one, if you are pro open, you're a racist. You believe in, you know, swastikas and you are a horrible person and. Wait a second. But they've told us that you can't be locked down forever. So we we're all effectively supposed to be on the reopen side. It's just a question of how soon we reopen. But if you want to reopen sooner than some Democrat consensus slash media plan. You're now a neo-Nazi. Look at look at how quickly that turns around. Look, look at how that happens. That was that was stunning, wasn't it? It really is, is a moment where you have to step back and say, wow, the media is. Media is uh, still very dangerous to open debate and conversation and the free exchange of ideas. Uh, the media is looking still the, the most prominent platforms, the most overpaid and most uh, dishonest people in the media are looking and overexposed. I mean, why should we listen to these these morons at, at CNN? I mean, overwhelmingly, the CNN anchors are deeply unimpressive people. Why should we listen to what they have to say about any of this? They're opinion people pretending to be objective journalists. That's start with that. That's why they're frauds. That's why I call them fake tapper. But it's true of many of the others. Why should their opinions matter so much on this one? No, they're all getting paid, by the way, and they're getting paid a lot. 
Legacy media, my friend, they're going to be just fine. Do you think they care about you? No. And if you disagree with them, they'll find a way to make sure that you you get called uh, a, a neo-Nazi. You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. What they really treated the world badly on, they stopped people going into China, but they didn't stop people going into the USA and all over the world. So you could fly out of Wuhan, where the primary problem was, all of the problem, essentially, also where the lab is. But you could fly out of Wuhan and you could go to different parts of the world, but you couldn't go to Beijing and you couldn't go to any place in China. So what's that all about? In other words, they knew they had a problem. I think they were embarrassed by the problem, very embarrassed. And, you know, the case could be made. They said, hey, look, this is going to have a huge impact on China. And we might as well let the rest of the world, because the last people they want, we've had a great year against China prior to the virus coming. I told you, 67 or so years, the worst economy they've had. Worst they've almost on record that they've ever had because of my negotiations and because I taxed them on the product that they brought in. And by the way, they paid for that tax. It wasn't our people. They paid for that tax. They devalued their currency. But here's the thing. They allowed this to go into our country. They allowed it to go into other countries. That is the big, the big problem that China is going to have going forward here. Increasingly, the evidence suggests that what China did is hide in the early stages and then and this is the new part from over the weekend new reporting from intel sources cited in the media that the chinese used that lockdown or you use rather that period of lying about wuhan virus to stockpile the necessary materiel to fight it which would mean that not not only were they telling us that it was fine they were making sure that they were all geared up to deal with the pandemic and, and essentially, it's like insider trading, but instead of for a stock for a pandemic, like they're maneuvering for the best result for their country while other countries are about to get hit. And remember, the virus came from China, right? So this isn't just a virus that happened and China figured it out first. No, China is the cause of this global pandemic, but also in the early days seems to have been hiding it from us uh, while they were stockpiling, which is just it's going to be too much for a lot of people. Um, Ted Cruz gets it. He says that they're they have a tremendous responsibility here. The senator's correct. Play 19. If you look at the pandemic itself, the communist government in China bears enormous responsibility, enormous direct culpability for this pandemic. We know they covered it up. We know that that when heroic whistleblower doctors tried to draw attention to it in December of last year, the Chinese government shut them up, it punished them, it silenced them. Had they behaved responsibly and sent in health professionals and quarantined those infected, there's a real possibility this could have been a regional outbreak and not a global pandemic. And and, and the hundreds of thousands of deaths worldwide are in a very real sense, the direct responsibility of the communist Chinese government's lies. It's very true. What are we going to do about it? I think for right now, unfortunately, the answer is very little. Uh, I had the secretary of state on last week. I asked him about this. I asked him about accountability for China. And he he's look, he's a diplomat. That is his job. So he says we have to focus right now on fighting the virus. And that's going to mean also coordinating not just with 
European allies, but also, I mean, some of the Asian countries have done a very, very good job, as we know, South Korea, Japan, uh, but courting with China to some degree. That's going to happen, buying material from China, uh, supply chain issues. We've learned so much here. Unfortunately, we've learned when it comes to our relationship with China, we have learned it the hard way. We are, we are paying a very dear price for this lesson, and it's one that uh, we, should, we should have been in a much better position than we are before having to suffer through all this. Thanks for listening to the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Remember to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, the iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. All right, team, wanted to switch gears here for a moment. So much talk about COVID and the reopening and the politics and China and all that. Uh, you'll recall that the New York Times had this certainly ambitious effort to effectively rewrite American history with something called the 1619 Project. Underlying all of it is that the, the fundamental premise of America is rooted in slavery. That was one of the theses, perhaps the, the prominent, most prominent thesis in the whole thing. And now uh, they're supposed to get a Pulitzer Prize this week for the 1619 Project. Well, we have a scholar with us now who takes issue with some major parts of the 1619 Project from the New York Times. We have Dr. Alan Gelzo. He has been a leading critic outlining the dangerous inaccuracies in the 1619 Project. He's a Heritage Foundation visiting fellow and is the senior research scholar at the Council of the Humanities at Princeton University. Dr. Gelzo, thanks so much for joining us. All right, thank you for having me. Uh, what are the, the biggest problems, as you see it, with the 1619 Project? And also, if you just give your, your overview of what they're trying to accomplish with the 1619 Project. The 1619 Project, to put it in a short compass, is an attempt to recenter our understanding of American history. What they mean by recenter is to see the presence of slavery and race as the central narrative of American history. And in doing so, what they want to say about it is that American history has really been a history of oppression on the subject of slavery and race, hence the name of the project, which is the 1619 Project. Their insistence is that America did not really begin with 1776. America really began with 1619, which was the year that the first slaves were brought from Africa to colonial Virginia. And everything in American history can be understood as flowing downstream from that, whether it's the American Revolution, whether it's the Civil War, whether it's Abraham Lincoln, whether it's the American economy, whether it's even patterns of, um, of, of driving, rush hour driving uh, in certain cities. It is... Um, it is a long ball thrown, so to speak, uh, in terms of American history, but it is uh, a long ball thrown mostly by journalists. And in this case, uh, it's a journalistic initiative which has been uh, severely and publicly criticized by at least two groups of historians and by, and by uh, numerous other individuals. Uh, and now the prospect is uh, there's been a good deal of discussion about the 1619 Project being awarded a Pulitzer Prize. As it is, the 1619 Project originally appeared in August of, of uh, 2019 as the full issue of the New York Times magazine. Uh, what is in prospect now is that the 1619 Project's publication will be reissued in some kind of book form. And what's more, it's being adopted by school systems across the country. About 3,500 
schools have adopted the 1619 Project as their interpretation of American history, and several large urban school districts, uh, Buffalo, uh, Washington, D.C., uh, have adopted and uh, made mandatory the use of the 1619 Project so that it becomes the narrative that K-12 through 12, uh, children are taught uh, as the substance of American history. Dr. Gelzo, what are some of the primary places that this narrative, just from the historical and factual perspective, where does it, where does it go wrong in ways that we need to be aware? Well, let me, let me give you three examples. One is the initial essays in uh, contention that the American Revolution was really designed, really hatched, to protect slavery. You know, the, the the American founders uh, really, when they talked about liberty, when they talked about uh, freedom uh, from oppression, uh, that really wasn't the, the real uh, agenda. The real agenda was how do we keep the British Empire from meddling with our ownership of slaves? So we staged the American Revolution to protect slavery. That's the contention of the opening essay. Now, this backfired a little bit because several months after the publication of the 1619 Project, one of the consulting historians for the 1619 Project wrote an op-ed saying that she had, in fact, counseled the 1619 Project not to make this assertion because it was untrue, but her advice was waved away. This assertion was criticized by two Pulitzer Prize-winning American historians, Gordon Wood, the dean of American, early American historians, and James McPherson. It's been criticized by numerous, numerous other American historians as a ridiculous extension of what is really an imaginary or an imagined scenario, because there is no concrete evidence that any of the founders ever suggested that they went into the American Revolution motivated by the urge to protect slavery. I mean, it just isn't there. This is an invention. And yet, as part of this overall recentering, we are asked by the 1619 Project to see that the American Revolution was really not, not about uh, we the people. It was not about when in the course of human events. It was how can we protect slavery. All right, so there's one thing right there, which is a, a vast overstatement, uh, to say the least. Secondly, another example is the 1619 Project insists that plantation slavery, as it was practiced in the pre-Civil War South, is really the model for the American capitalist economy. And that what you see in the functioning of American capitalism and American enterprise uh, is really all built on uh, the models and standards that were created for plantation slavery. Ergo, capitalism is slavery, or conversely, slavery is capitalism. If you want to ask where we get our capitalist economy, uh, the 1619 Project's answer is it's all built on slavery. Now, once again, there are big problems with these assertions. First of all, one of the assertions is that Plantation slavery was a very sophisticated capitalist enterprise because it used double-entry bookkeeping and it used a variety of other accounting practices. Well, <laughs> the problem is that those accounting practices go back to the Italian Renaissance. 
they were not unique to the American South, much less to plantation slavery. And what's more, plantation slavery, yes, there are slaveholders who kept meticulous records, who kept account books, but there were also many, many others who did not, because plantation slavery was not something you could easily reduce to matters of numbers. Not when you're using force, compulsion, and lethal violence to produce uh, results. So the notion that slavery somehow is a capitalist enterprise, I mean, just on, on the concept itself, there's an exaggeration. The numbers that are cited, that somehow the American economy before the Civil War was so much a matter of, of plantation slavery that the profits generated by plantation slavery dwarf all those from any other enterprise in America. That, that is simply not true. Read the almanacs of the 1850s, which are teeming with economic data about the United States, and you find out that, in fact, there are more banks lending more money and possessing more capital in the state of New York alone than in the entire plantation south. So the models here and the numbers are an, an absurdity, and yet this is being offered as a sober interpretation of American history that we're supposed to recenter everything around. We're speaking to Dr. Alan Gelzo of the Heritage Foundation and the uh, and Princeton University. Uh, Dr. Gelzo, tell me about the lying, uh, the outrageous lying slander of Abraham Lincoln, specifically that the 1619 Project engages in. Well, that was the title of an op-ed in the New York Post. I did not. <laughs> I did not write that title. <laughs> but you wrote the piece, a, so hopefully you could explain. I wrote the piece. Yes. The, the editors of the Post wrote the title. It was a bit more lurid and uh, theatrical than I would uh, have chosen as a title. But nevertheless, uh, I'll tell you the substance of the piece was a complaint, which I wrote, about yet another aspect of the 1619 Project, and that's his treatment of Abraham Lincoln. Uh, Abraham Lincoln, uh, in the way the 1619 Project presents the great emancipator, uh, Abraham Lincoln was a racist, a racist who planned the deportation of black people because black people were, as they put it, a problem, a worrisome problem. Now, th notice that in none of this is there any reference to the Emancipation Proclamation, that Lincoln frees slaves in 1863 by a presidential proclamation on January 1st, 1863. Notice there's no mention about a civil war being fought here. The one invocation of Abraham Lincoln is that he is a racist who regards blacks as a problem. All right, where does the term problem, worrisome problem, come from? It doesn't come from Lincoln. It comes from Lincoln quoting somebody else, in this case, Henry Clay. What we are dealing with is historical sloppiness that pushes things to an absurd degree. Every one of these things that I've mentioned, the American Revolution, plantation slavery, Lincoln himself, these are, these are questions of enormous complexity. But they're treated by the 1619 Project with a wave of the hand and no research. Now, part of me wants to say, this is what happens when journalists presume on the credulity of the public, because we trust what the press says. 
even sometimes when we protest that we don't, we really do. Journalists sometimes think that they are writing what they call the first draft of history. That is a real compliment that journalists pay to themselves, and it's not always well-earned, because journalists are not experienced as historians. Journalists operate under pressure to write dramatic copy that will fill the space of a 40-page newspaper or a 24-hour news cycle. And it's no surprise that we have seen a rash of journalistic hoaxes, some of which have gone up to the level of the Pulitzer Prize. I think, for instance, in 1980, Janet Cook and her series Jimmy's World for the Washington Post about a so-called eight-year-old crack addict. That earned her the Pulitzer Prize, right at the moment when people started asking embarrassing questions about her sources. And it turned out they were all, in fact, manufactured. The Pulitzer Prize had to be withdrawn. Same things have happened to the New York Times before. I recall the uh, incident of Jason Blair in the New York Times in 2003, who filed fake stories concerning John Muhammad and John Malvo. Uh, these were stories that did not hold up. They were later investigated. It turned out that uh, a number of things were entirely wrong about this, and then uh, the journalist in question has to be quietly let go by the New York Times. And I have to say that even historians are not entirely proof against hoaxing. Uh, in 2000, a historian at Emory University, Michael Bell Isle, published a book called Arming America, The Origins of a National Gun Culture, for which he won the Bancroft Prize. But later it turned out he was rather relentlessly tracked down by a lawyer who was suspicious about the, the notes on the sources. And it turned out that the sources that were being cited for the book uh, could not be produced, at which point the Bancroft Prize had to be um, to be withdrawn, and Professor Belle Isle uh, lost his position with Emory University. All of these events occurred because of the confidence that the content of the articles or the content of the book would be politically applauded, even if the material was, shall we say, invented. But that's not the way to do history. That's carelessness. That's, that's a lack of intellectual integrity. And what is surprising about the 1619 Project is that even after all the criticism, it's surprising that there should even be serious consideration for a Pulitzer Prize after all the pointing out of errors, after one of the consultants for the project even compelled the project to admit and to issue a retraction. But the Pulitzer Prize would, would continue to be a matter of consideration for the 1619 Project simply beggars the imagination. It's not about facts. It's about the narrative. Dr. Alan Gelzo of the Heritage Foundation and Princeton University. Thank you, sir, for joining us. We appreciate your expertise. All right. Thank you. You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. I know that we're going through a tough time right now because of COVID-19. Don't worry, this is not one of this is not one of these corporate messages. I know we're all going to, but I, I just wanted to start with, I understand that things are tough right now, but I also have to tell you that uh, there's another, there's an, a new scourge out there, one we have to be on guard for going forward. Um, and it's called the murder hornet. I don't know if you've seen this, you know, it's because these days, 
anything that's not about COVID, anything we can sort of, uh, you know, think about or, or spend time on that has nothing to do with COVID-19 is a nice distraction. But this one is pretty scary. You got these things called uh, murder hornets now in the United States. Have you seen these things, Producer Mark? A lot of, lot of, lot of buzz about, yeah. uh, about them over the weekend. I see. Yeah. Mm. Just, you know what I'm saying? You could say the stories were swarming. But uh, there's a there's the Asian giant hornet is the true name. They call them murder hornets. Uh, did you did you see some of this stuff? They they kill other honeybees. They kill honeybees rather, and they do it by uh, ripping their heads off one by one. But they'll they go sound in. Like they'll lovely kill creatures. Yeah, they'll go in and they have a, a a they're five times the size of a honeybee, and they have a particularly long and very painful stinger that can go through standard beekeeper suits and they rip the heads off of honeybee and they found they've started to find um nests of the giant uh the asian giant hornet uh, all over the country now i'm sure we're gonna have to change the name you call it an asian giant hornet you know well, I, I don't know what are you trying to say there cnn with this one you know I, I think greg gutfeld was pointing this one out over the weekend he's like what do you mean calling it asian I think Greg, I think Greg is right on this one. You know, why, why you gotta, why you gotta be that guy who's calling, you know, hornets have no nationality, right? This is, this is the idea. Uh, hornets are just, uh, they're, they're a threat to all of us equally, which is, they are a threat to all of us equally, but these things are terrifying. You ever been stung by a bee producer, Mark? I have. It's not fun. Not fun. These are apparently like 10 times worse than that in terms of the pain. And if you get stung more than 50 times, you can die. That's what they say. I saw some story that if you stung, get stung like five times, you could die. With these oh, words. yeah, you can. Well, it depends on how, if you have an allergy to the, uh, the toxin or not. But they say that, at least the story that I read, if you're stung, uh, I think it's 20 times, it's considered a medical emergency. And if you're stung more than 50 times, you, you're like in urgent, urgent need of anti-venom. So they're really, they're really rough looking, these things. You do not want them. So just, guys, if you see... The scariest looking hornet ever that looks like something that would rip the heads off of other bees for fun. Don't touch it. I've got a safety tip for you. Stay away from the giant Asian hornets or the Asian giant hornet, as it is called. You, well, can you promise us, Producer Mark, we need you. We need you to keep the, the Freedom Hut up and running. Well, if you don't want to stay inside for the coronavirus, that's going to make you stay inside. It's pretty scary looking, I yep. got to say. And I do not like getting stung by things. So I don't know. We got to figure out a way to defeat this menace, too. Thanks for listening to the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Remember to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, the iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. All right, we got roll call coming your way. But first, make sure you check this out, folks. I didn't realize the deadline was coming up so quickly. Here's the scoop. If you did not file a tax return last year, and have children under 17, you must act now to get the $500 economic impact payment per child. This is a good thing if you qualify. This is money to you, okay, not money from you. I know there's a lot of people who can use this money right now. Make sure you get it done by May 5th, Cinco de Mayo, to get your payment in 2020. Go to irs.gov and enter your information in the non-filer tool by May 5th. So this is urgent for those of you that qualify. This is 500 bucks to you if you qualify from the IRS. Take that money back. Producer Mark, you don't qualify, huh? I do not. I do file taxes, unfortunately. Yeah. And, and you don't have children under 17. I so do not. At least no. not, not that you or I know about at this point. I hope so. not. Be I would have been 10 years old when fathering <laughs> those children. <laughs> so I forgot how old you were. That's right. That would have been 
that would have been some uh, some stuff for sure. Yeah. That, that that would have been setting some kind of a record. Somebody would have been right. in jail for that. <laughs> All right, we got producer Mark here, and uh, oh, sorry, we got roll call rather here. He threw me off, and let's get to it. Where, you always bury the roll call; it's so hard to find. Just kidding. April, as in I didn't have the email open. It's my fault. Don't blame producer Mark. Don't worry, he will never let me get away with blaming him when it's not his fault, guys. It's that fine. is correct. That's just that's just for show. Uh, April writes in first. Oh, and Facebook.com slash Buck Sexton or Team Buck at iHeartMedia.com for roll call inquiries and thoughts. BuckSexton.com is the website. Go to it. We got stories, posting, doing all kinds of good things there. April, the other day you mentioned how wrong the media and Dems have been about various supposed controversies, Russia collusion, the Kavanaugh allegations, etc., and how they have still not apologized or admitted they were wrong. I don't believe they'll ever do this because they don't actually believe what they're wrong about uh, or rather that they're wrong about anything. It's just that Trump and his associates got away with it. Trump didn't win the election legitimately. He colluded with Russians and got away with it. Kavanaugh isn't an innocent man. He assaulted a young woman and simply got away with the act. The left would rather go to the grave than ever admit they were wrong about anything that might damage Trump's presidency. Hang in there, Buck and producer Mark. Uh, April, you are 100 percent correct. I don't even know if I have anything to add to your analysis of this other than you you are you see it exactly as it is. That's what's going on here. Uh, they, they don't admit and they don't even think that they are wrong. Even when the facts show that they're wrong, they believe that they're, uh, there, there's a greater a greater way in which they're right. And I know that sounds crazy because it is, but that's what they think. So even if they try to take down Kavanaugh, let's say, or Trump or anyone else with false facts, there are other facts that have not yet been found that prove that their initial allegation was right. And therefore, this person should be destroyed anyway. That that is their thinking. I mean, a April, you see this correctly. You're right. Um, and they will never admit that they're wrong. But I bring that up not because I'm surprised, merely to show you that as journalists, even accuracy for them is something that is up for debate and discussion, even being true to the facts isn't something that they can be. They, they will not be held to that standard. Uh, they'll only do so insofar as it is useful to them. It's true. I mean, I, I wish it was not the case, but it is. But anyway, April, high five. You're totally correct. Adam, Buck, just got fishing. Uh, fishing. Sorry, I got fishing on the brain. I don't know why. Adam, just got finished listening to our governor's address from Gretchen Witchmore. I see what you did there. I listened to a lot of angry customers over the years. The pressure is getting to her. She's cracking under the weight of the job. Shields high. I don't know if the pressure's getting to her and she's cracking at him. I think that she is hoping to ride this authoritarianism into the White House. There's a lot of talk right now about Gretchen, uh, Gretchen Whitmore as a possible vice presidential candidate. Michigan is an important state. If Biden can win Michigan, you know, the, you, you think about the states that matter, Ohio, Michigan, Florida, although I think Florida is going to be really strong for Trump personally, but we'll see. Uh, Ohio, Florida, Michigan, Pennsylvania, Wisconsin. Mm, you know, there's a few others you put in there, but those, those are the ones that everyone's going to be watching very closely. And if you can get a governor who's popular among the libs in her state to sign on, you're going to be in pretty good shape. Casey, Buck, love the show. Casey, the show loves you. Started listening in the early days of The Blaze and even have two very rare and desirable Team Buck and Live from the Freedom Hut t-shirts. Casey, those are collectibles i gotta say my, my mom has a live from the freedom hut t-shirt that she wears sometimes and i was telling her i was like that 
That is true. Uh, that is true devotion because that T-shirt now we're going on like almost 10 years. It looks good, though. It, it has faded well. In regards to your point, Producer Mark, do we have any? We got to get you some old. Do we at least get you a Commie Bear T-shirt or no, something? I, we have, I have nothing. You have nothing? No. That's absurd. How is that? I mean, you came along post gear, yes. but we'll get you some of the. I have some old gear. I'll, we'll give you some gear. Huh. You, you need some, some really gear. big stuff. We, we got some gear for you. Right. We got it. We got you covered. But we should we should probably start selling gear on the website. We'll yeah, talk we'll, to our website we'll get on about it. that. Yeah. Everyone has to go to BuckSection.com though. The more you go and check in for new stories at that site, you can also listen to the podcast there. Uh, there's there's just a lot of things that a lot a lot of utility that will bring to your day. Uh, the more people go to the site, the more we can do things like sell T-shirts there and do stuff like that, right? Because it's just all about we give the attention uh, to the team w- where it is most needed. Uh, Casey writes, in regards to your point the other day about union pensions being such a huge portion of state budgets, here in Kentucky, the teachers' unions rallied hard against Matt Bevin in the last election after he dared to suggest we try and be fiscally responsible with pensions. He was defeated by Andy Bashir, whose father, a previous governor before Bevin, drained the teachers' pensions to set up our ACA exchange years back. Now we're dealing with Andy's petty tyrant tendencies. We were the first state to be called for Trump in 2016, yet we can't see the problems in our own backyard. Look, those teachers' unions and their spokespersons are very... It's, it's always about the children. Oh, we just, we just need to help. Teachers just want to teach. And it's about the kids. Really? You're you're like self, uh, you know, self-assessed programs for teachers and 10-year programs and long-term health benefits and pensions and all that. That's all about the kids? Because that sounds like it's about adults. But they always say it's about the kids. I've, I've been exposed to plenty of teachers' union talk in my day, and uh, it's it's often pretty, pretty dishonest, pretty slippery. And yeah, I'm sure Kentucky has a problem with that on the state. That's where that's where the money is. That's where the money goes. This is why you're paying so much in property taxes. It's not like it's money that doesn't come from the people who live in the state. This whatever it forgets. Sure, I mean, if we can give every teacher 150k a year pension and it didn't matter to the other residents in the state who are working very hard for the money that they have, I'd say, yeah, go for it. I like teachers. Why not? The money comes from the people who are working other jobs in the state. But the Democrats, this is the the alliance they have created where they just keep on running up those bills. And as long as teachers unions are a source of power for Democrats, it's never going to change. Stephen Buck, does your girl like the snow princess name? Uh, we are up in upper Midwest northern states. Don't particularly find the youper youp for upper peninsula of Michigan accent applied to all of us. I agree with producer Mark. She sounds like a keeper. Well, Stephen, she's from a very cold place in the country, but I cannot tell you where quite yet. We're going to, uh, we were thinking about doing a Q&A on the show one day where she would, you guys could all send in questions and she would, uh, about me or the show or whatever, and she can either answer or not answer. We'll leave that up to her. So if you like that idea, send in notes in, in uh, support of it. She's, she asked me, she said, what do you think people would want to know about you who would write in? And I said, I have no idea, which is true. I don't know what questions would be asked. Does producer Mark get to ask questions? No, producer Mark does not get to <laughs> ask questions. You are you are banned from the question asking. Um, but yeah, we'll see. Uh, she's she's from a very cold place. She's always whenever it's cold outside, she's always got the perfect setup for. She's never like caught unaware or unready for the for cold weather. And I'm always like, oh, I should have worn a scarf. You know, she just knows. She's much better at it than I am. Um, so yeah, 
In the upper Midwest, we don't like the Uper accent applied to all of us. What's the... Is that... Is that a thing? A Uper accent? Yeah, the uh, the UP accent. The Upper Peninsula. You know, the is Minnesotan that, is upper, accent. Is do? Upper Michigan different than the rest of Michigan accent wise? I, I, I believe that's possible because New York, the boroughs have different accents. I'm not calling this into question. I'm just saying I didn't know that was a thing. I guess the closer you get to Canada, to Canada the more. Oh, that's where you get more. Oh, gosh. Yeah. Oh, it's cold in Michigan. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's a little. So you go up north in Michigan to get that. Yeah, I guess so. Yeah. I haven't really like explored Minnesota Michigan. Too? Yeah, I think uh, the Minnesota accent you do is what he's talking about. That's probably true. Yeah. But it, Michigan, Minnesota, they're pretty... Oh, Minnesota. Oh, they're pretty close to each other, right? Don't tell that to people. They hate each other. I know. I love the regional beef there. Well, is the real beef, though, between Michigan and Wisconsin or between Minnesota and Michigan? Yes. Okay. I think that's the right answer. Yeah. I feel like it's all, it's all of the above, right? Because there's the... There's like the Badgers versus the Honey Bears or something, or the yeah. Wolverine. You know what is it? Uh, the yeah, Wolverines versus the Honey Bears. Yeah, Michigan is the Wolverines. Minnesota is the Badgers, I believe. Badgers. And Wisconsin are they the Honey Badgers? Oh, sorry, not 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 Honey Bears. Honey Badger, because Honey Badger doesn't give a. Yeah, no, that's a different. That's a different thing. Sorry, Honey, ba- honey Badgers are scary, fierce little animals. No, no, honey it's the Wisconsin bears. Badgers. Right, it's the Wisconsin Badgers. I'm going to get the Minnesota one so I don't piss off everybody. Uh, the Golden the golden Gopher, of course. There we go. So Minnesota it was another, Gophers. it was a cute, yes. a cute mammal. A lot, of, a lot of mammalian rivalry up in that part, uh, sports rivalry up in that part of the world. So what is yeah. a, What's that word you just said? Mammalian? No, sports. Oh, yeah. Never heard of that it. That one, too. Hmm. They'll bring it back. They'll bring Hope it back. So. You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Our roll call continuing here. We got Ron saying, I don't understand why the unemployed workers in New York that refuse to go back to work is an issue. In Utah, you're taken off unemployment if you refuse to take a job offer. You're required to apply for three jobs a week and report all interviews and job offers. Does New York not have those requirements? If not, they need them. Issue solved for employers. Keep up the great work and bring back the NHL. Semper five. Well, I'm sure producer Mark gives you a high five on that one. That's for sure. Is that the first? But NHL season's done now, right? What do you mean? Like it would be done. I'm saying it, we're it out of season. It would be mid playoffs. Oh, it would be. Oh, yeah. oh, I thought it. Was, I thought it was already finished. By I don't now. know. We'd be mid playoffs by now. If I told you that you could have NFL, I mean, sorry, NHL playoffs and Stanley Cup, or three months of baseball. Oof. That's tough. I thought that's why I'm asking it. But I will say there's nothing better than the Stanley Cup playoffs. Nothing. Nothing in sports there is better. Go. I still owe producer Mark a hockey game. We just haven't gone because they shut down all yeah, hockey there's games. There's no hockey <laughs> that, right that made it harder with there's no uh, producer Mark. And if, if producer Brandon wants to come, we said I'd bring him too. Uh, all right. And we're definitely going to where's the, the, inexp- the, the Islanders one. Yeah, Not the, the Islanders Rangers. The, we can go to the Devils too. Yeah. yeah. I, I looked at Ranger tickets. I was like, ouch. Yeah. Oof, well, that's, that's, the Rangers can't be playing the Islanders or the Devils because then the tickets become expensive there too. Ah, yeah, no, 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 no. We'll go see the the Devils versus like some expansion team from Canada or name you know. one one Canadian hockey team. The Edmonton Oilers. Wow, that was not the one I expected. Boom! You only know that because of Wayne Gretzky. True. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's a fair point. All right, uh, Ron, to your question, sorry, Ron, to your point about uh, unemployment, I actually don't know 
how unemployment in New York, uh, specifically what the, what the requirements are. But I do know that I've spoken to plenty of small business owners who are saying that they have people who don't want to go back to work on their staff. So there we go. Lori Buck, my husband is from Minnesota, and I agree. They are very nice people. By the way, his mom was a sexton. Not sure if your Minnesota people are the sexton side of the family, but his sextons are from Millville, Minneapolis, uh, Millville, Minnesota, rather, in the southeastern part of the state. Well, Lori, Sexton is a reasonably common last name, uh, but that doesn't mean that I couldn't have my, at least by family lore, my grandfather on one side was born in South Dakota. And I, I, I believe I've, there's some, I don't know, there's some story that it was like a snowstorm and he was actually, you know, technically born on a, on a Sioux reservation in South Dakota. I think that's just family lore. I don't think that that's necessarily accurate. But he was born in South Dakota. So we got family that's from up up there. I got family born in Virginia and South Dakota. And then on one side of just New York going back all the way. New York on uh, New York going straight back uh, to the 1840s, I think. Potato famine. So that's where that side of the family comes from. Uh, let's see. Misty, will you get a vaccine if one is available? Will you trust it? Mm, interesting question, Misty. If I if there's a vaccine that like I, I have, there are some docs that I really trust and and I really believe know what they're talking about. And if the docs that I trust and know personally are saying this vaccine is it's good, it's credible, they've, they've got the right, you know, they've done the right trials for it. Yeah, I'll get a vaccine for sure. I brought up human trial vaccines before, but that's a little bit like if you took me and producer Mark and you're like, all right, guys. So we're going to inject you with this thing. And then in a week, we're going to like, you know inject you with some live coronavirus and see how that goes. I don't know if I'm going to sign up for that. That's a different thing. So how, how soon would this vaccine be available? That would really determine whether or not it's gone through the standard process, but I, I would get a vaccine if it has gone through the standard process, not for me, but really so that I, I'd be uh, at lower risk. My concern is that I just don't want to get, I don't want to get it and pass it to family members who are uh, older um, also my, you know, I've got, we've got an expectation from one of my siblings that there'll be a, an addition to the world relatively soon. So you got to be careful with anybody who's pregnant, uh, as well. So uh, that's why I would get a vaccine, but we shall see. We shall see. Uh, Jamie, I like Jamie writes for roll call. Thank you, Jamie. I know I'm a couple days late on this, but when you said Nancy Pelosi was a stupid person's idea of a smart politician, I almost had to pull over, uh, pull myself over to collect myself. Buck slapped. Well, thank you, Jamie. And I think that's a pretty good description of it. I mean, Nancy Pelosi is a stupid person's idea of a smart politician. So that that's one that we can keep. That's one we can keep for the ages. Karen. Hi, Buck and producer Mark. Thank you so much for your great daily show. I just found out yesterday that our dimwit governor of Oregon signed an order to keep our state closed for another 60 days meaning the deaths in our state are just 106 a day or so ago. Or meanwhile, the deaths in our state are just 106. Do you think she's doing this so she can request more money for the money pit of hers? It seems to me she's doing this because she can. It's not like we're a rich state anyway. We don't have sales tax. So property employment taxes are going to get whacked. I just don't know what she's trying to accomplish with this crazy move. Love your show. Listen every day. Yeah, Karen, it strikes me as nuts. You know, we have a great audience in the Portland area for this show uh, of Oregon. And, you know, it, it's a beautiful state with great food and really some really cool stuff going on. And it just these states that are getting uh, shut down like this, 
It's going to really hurt them for a long time. And the governors are making horrible decisions. And I'm just trying to get the word out as far as I can. We've got to reopen, guys. I know you're with me on this one. We've got to reopen this country. All right, that's going to be it for today in the Freedom Hunt. Thank you so much for joining. Go to BuckSexton.com. Podcast can be played there. Make sure you tell somebody about the podcast. And we'll be back tomorrow. Shields high.